Welcome to Where I'm From, the podcast that proves no matter how far you go, you'll always keep a little piece of home with you. I'm Bill Meeks. This week, Ayaz Akhtar joins me to talk about where he's from, Queens, New York. Was Ayaz's upbringing more Kevin James or The Nanny? We're going to find out. You might know Ayaz from his previous gigs reporting on tech news for places like the Twit Network. I'm going to give you a tip, a pro tip from me when it comes to setting up a blog, when you get a domain. Or CNET. CNET, Senior Associate Editor. Uh, hey, hey, good morning. By the way, it's as nice to see you. Uh, Akhtar, it's as Akhtar. N- nice to see you. These days, you can find him as a frequent panelist on Tom Merritt's daily tech news show. ETS CES 2023, 18-inch laptops. And I, as Akhtar, helps us understand why Microsoft says it doesn't know when Call of Duty launched. <laughs> this is the daily tech news for Tuesday, January 3rd. Or hacking his house on his YouTube series, This Old Nerd. Welcome to This Old Nerd. I am This Old Nerd, I as Akhtar, and this show is all about having the most tech-forward home and life. But today, I'm talking to Ayaz about where he's from, Queens, New York, and the surrounding area. I am pumped to finally be talking to somebody about the Big Apple, and we might just fit in a couple tech things, too. You never know, we're both pretty techy. All right, let's go talk to Ayaz, huh? And I'd like to welcome to where I'm from, Ayaz Akhtar. How are you doing today, Ayaz? I'm doing pretty well. How are you today? Excellent, excellent. Now, we were talking a little bit before the show, and we've known each other for like a million years. I believe this is today is the first time we've ever actually spoken. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we've known each other for, I think, internet time about 3,600,000 days, and <laughs> we've never spoken. It's been a lot of tweets, a lot of um, whatever social networks will pop up, maybe even like... Uh, what's the one, like peach or path or whatever these things are? <laughs> I'm sure we've we've been friends on those things as well. So it's it's been it's it's a pleasure to actually talk to you in real life, sort of this way. I usually disappoint people, I ask, so so that makes me really glad to hear <laughs> that you're excited about this too. <laughs> so far, anyway, I still have time. I still have time. I, I do want to say though that I have sat in your your chair because uh, when I went to Indonesia with previous where I'm from guest, Brian Brushwood, we stopped at the Twit Brick House uh, in Petaluma, California, and I uh, sat in your chair and I sent you a picture saying, you know, this is my spot now. It was a nice chair. Uh, I mean, there, there's a story behind it. Uh, there is Justin Robert Young, if you guys know him, he uh, left me a note one day. I was also not at the, at the Brick House when this this note was written. It said, <laughs> I farted in your chair and the little heart, it's a jury. <laughs> and uh, I still don't have that paper anymore. Go figure, <laughs> didn't keep that. Doubt that's something you'd want a memento of. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I could. I should have probably put it in Lucite and sold it on eBay, but I've made a mistake. <laughs> a horrible, horrible mistake. The market for uh, Justin's farts has gone way down. They're not nearly worth what they used to be. It's kind of like Bitcoin. You know? <laughs> Slow decline. Fluctuating flatulence. <laughs> flatulence. I was wanting to know, because I grew up in an area that was... Uh, much smaller than the New York City area. What was it like growing up in the big city? Uh, growing up in Queens, it, it was a little strange. I mean, 
the the neighborhood I grew up in is not not a lot of people like me in it. At least when I was growing up, it was a lot of Italian and uh, Irish and Catholic, very Catholic. I went to Catholic school there because it was cheaper than private school. So all my friends' names were like Christopher and Brian and Jennifer, and then there was Iaz, <laughs> and that was like, oh boy, that this is a name. Um, yeah. And it's like, is it Iaz? And it's like, no, it's Iaz. It's like, is it Iaz? <laughs> it's not Iaz. And like, and the thing is, if my kindergarten teacher she pronounced my name as Ayaz. And I said, yeah, that's fine. And that was why I stuck with it. Like my, my parents called me a slightly different version of it. I'm like, well, I don't care. But that's what stuck. So uh, that was at least parochial school in, in Queens for the first eight years. And then I went to Briarwood for another four, which is also in Queens. So uh, the correct pronunciation is not Ayaz. It's it is now. Oh, it's Ayaz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's Ayaz. I, I've, I've completely like... My my folks used to call me Ayaz, and that's another name though. It's an A Y A Z. I'm like, if that's what you're calling me, why didn't you write yeah. it A Y A Z? That also would have been easier for teachers and everything. They're like, ah, they, I don't know exactly why. I even asked my mom recently. I'm like, why did why did you guys name me Ayaz? By the way, and they're like, my mom says, your dad just liked the name. I'm like, well, that's it. I don't have. Is it like there was like a, 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 a maybe like a a fellow student he used to work with, or like maybe another doctor he used to work with, or something? It's like nope, just he just liked the name. I still don't have a full origin as to why I'm called Ayaz, other than that. Considering that you know your career has kind of veered into the tech space for the past number of years, did you ever consider back when the iPod was first coming out, like spelling it with like the lowercase i and then Yaz? Yes, I used to do that at the CNET chat room. Back in the days, I used to be in the CNET chat room all the time. I would be working and plugging along, and then I would be in the chat room at the same time. And I would put in comments every now and then, and I hear Tom Merritt go like, Eaz in the chat room says, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dang it, that doesn't work. <laughs> so I tried I tried exactly what you said. I did the lowercase i, cap y, a, z. And from then uh -huh. on in, they called me Eaz. And I'm like, hey, that worked. That's great. And that's why even to this day on my LinkedIn, like it literally has a lowercase I <laughs> and look for fonts that have you know, serifs on it. So that way it doesn't look like Liaz, which is a whole other thing. Was that it? Did anyone ever give you that nickname growing up? Man, you're you're a liar. You're a Liaz. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> um, I think my ethics are quite good on that. So I've not been called Liaz, although that's my couple's name with my wife now. So like Liz and Liaz is Liaz. <laughs> there actually is a story behind that. She got me a, a giant mug and it was inscripted. And so she put it, in, she wanted my name on it. The Thundercats logo is really cool. But the thing is, the guy thought the I was an L. And so we have this giant mug that says Liaz. And Liz is like, this is, our, this is our couple's name. And I'm like, okay, great. So now Liaz is a thing and Liaz is still a thing. And so we have both. And I have both mugs. You know, as a parent myself, I've been struggling because we live in Los Angeles now. And I've been struggling with... Uh, how soon I should cut the apron strings with my kids, right? So I was wondering when you were growing up in New York City area, what was that process like for you about, you know, your parents sort of like slowly untying the apron strings? Oh boy, I don't know if they ever, ever stopped. I mean, they think they're still <laughs> attached. Uh, so, so my folks are from Pakistan. And so I was first generation American. There's four kids. I'm the third one. There's there's an older boy, the oldest boy, the 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 daughter, me, and the youngest. So I'm the kind of default middle kid because mm -hmm. I'm the second boy and I'm the second youngest. So I'm like, well, I'm really unique. That's what I am. <laughs> Growing up, basically, because my folks were outnumbered, my dad was working like crazy as a doctor. My mom was stay at home. So she would basically rule the roost with, um, well, I mean, at times there'd be a stick, you know, I mean, literally a stick or, or, or threats. And so those mm -hmm. really worked well. So we behaved quite well. 
uh, as much as we could. And we also were partnered up at a certain point where my, my, my mom basically deputized the older two siblings of like, okay, you're responsible for the youngest and you're responsible for the other one <laughs> and let's go. So now anytime anything went wrong, I'd have to take it up with my sister or my older brother, depending uh -huh. on who was partnered with. And so that's good. That's a delegation delegation. I, I grew up in a really big family too. I think like seven kids in the house that we grew up in. Wow. And yeah, that was basically what, like once you hit about 11 or 12, you were responsible for everyone under you. Like, yeah. So like they had deputies watching me and I had to like plead my case to them and then it could be escalated essentially. Like it, I didn't realize what was going on as a child. I'm realizing it now. It's like, yeah, that's right. I had to ask somebody and then I they had to ask somebody else and then maybe they get back to me about this. Um, so like they, my, my folks, uh, they were very strict and they were very, um, you know, be a lawyer or a doctor It's mm -hmm. because that's what you have to do. So I have a couple of law degrees, even though I didn't practice because <laughs> it's like, here, mom, I'm got, I got them. We're good. And so I retired officially and I don't have to do that yeah. um, unless I change my mind. So uh, the, the, the apron strings, like it was, you know, you got to be home at a certain time. I didn't get to hang out at parties when I was a kid. There was a lot of like, cause there was four kids. That was enough. She didn't, my mom did not want to deal with like other kids at the, at the, at the house. We had like one party that I, or two parties I remember. So it was pretty, I wouldn't say isolated. It was insulated. I'll go with that because my family was six yeah. people. So that's a lot of, well, if you obviously you, you understand, and there's a lot, a lot of activity in the house. I don't really feel alone. And yeah. my dad was always talking about liability. That was his thing. It's like, listen, you don't want to bring these kids in the house because something breaks and I, <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm like eight. I don't know about liability and insurance and stuff. But he's explaining it to me when I was eight. So I'm like, all right, fine. I guess we can't have kids over, but I can hang out with them in the, in the meantime after school. That's a lot of pressure to put on an eight-year-old. You know, we don't want our insurance premiums to go up sort of thing. You know? That is, it was honest. <laughs> it's real. That's really happened. You know, that's something I struggle with a lot with my kids because I, you know, I don't feel like my parents necessarily prepared me very well for how the real world works. So I want to give them, you know, a good foundation and all that stuff, especially financially. But but at the same token, they're like, we're not going to listen to you anyway, dad. Like there's a, there's always that pushback <laughs> that, yeah. you know, you, you've been on this deck or planet for decades longer than I have, but you probably don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I think the thing is you got to be strategic on when you let them fail. I've got now he's geez, he's like tw he's 12 and a half now. So he's gonna be 13 in June, which is terrifying to think about. <laughs> We have a saying in this house, in, in our home, that it's it's a, a hit the bridge moment. And that refers to when my son, he's about four or five. And I said, hey, man, you've gotten taller. Be careful when you're running around the playground because that, that drawbridge there is low and you're taller now. So you're going to hit that thing, okay? He says, mm -hmm. okay, dad. I said, hey, man, you heard what I said, right? He says, yes. And so a couple minutes later, I see him running around. I'm seeing he's going right after that bridge. He's going to go right <laughs> into it. And I'm waiting and I'm like, okay, I have to let him do it. So he bonks his head on the bridge and he sits on his butt. He's just like kind of sitting there like this for a second, looks up, he's fine. And then starts running around again. But then on end, like anytime we run into an issue, I'm like, hey, listen, this is a hit the bridge moment. Okay. I can let you fail or you can listen to me. Your choice. <laughs> and so he still, it still has meaning to this day. Maybe part of the reason kids push back so much is because they feel sort of powerless uh, in the situation or like they're being told what to do. If you kind of give them that choice, 
it, it kind of eases a little bit. And then you maybe try and lead them to the right choice. Yeah, I had to ask my son when he was little. I was like, hey, what's it like just getting picked up randomly and moved? <laughs> He's like, it's normal. And I go, well, it's not really for, you know, adults. You don't really see him. You get picked up and moved to the, you know, from one side to the next. He goes, I guess it's a little strange. You know, you're, you're sitting somewhere, one place, and then you're elsewhere. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> All right. I always wanted to know what that was like. So yeah, it, it's, they're, they're trying to figure out so much stuff. The pushback is almost natural. And the other thing is like, if they have any semblance of intelligence, that's when they push back, I think mm -hmm. the most, because they can try to figure out if you're technically saying the thing you're asking them, like, am I asking specifically about this one thing? Cause I can't, yeah. or am I actually the spirit behind what I said, this, these arguments, those are, those are fun. Those are super fun. It's always tough for me personally, because I, I, you know, I grew up punk rock, right? So I have like this you know, screw authority sort of attitude. And that's something that I don't necessarily want to discourage in my kids because it served me well. By the same token, I'm the authority in this situation. So I'm kind of like, you know, not completely serving my own interest here. Yeah, that, that's a tough one trying to to make sure your kid or kids have their own critical thinking while mm -hmm. trying to be the authority figure. Like I've even told my son, yeah. like, hey, listen, you're gonna have to fight against everybody at some point, including me. So if you think <laughs> I'm wrong, like, okay, well, yeah. you better be thinking about it and be reasonable about it at least. So I've even <laughs> encouraged him to do that, which is to my own detriment, but it's, I think for the, it's for the greater good. That's how I keep it. It's the greater good because because yeah. in the current situations, it's like, oh man, why didn't I just tell him to listen to me? If I just <laughs> did that, it's like, no, question me. So you try and be, someone who guides your children, but at the same token, you have to make sure that they don't kill themselves <laughs> or whatever. You know? That is that is an actual literal concern. That's, that's yeah. a, very annoying that that's an actual thing you have to worry about, but it's true. My, my daughter, Leah, she she's uh, in high school now and she started walking home from school, which is about a mile, mile and a half. And I try and, you know, keep, keep uh, the apron strings untied and let her, you know, do what she needs to do. But by the same token, when it gets about 10 after when she's supposed to be home, I'm like, oh, geez, here we go. <laughs> like, it's always a constant source of panic. But that's yeah. my problem, I guess. My son, he walks himself to school at this point. We're like like seven or eight blocks in Manhattan. So it's not, mm -hmm. and you know, it's pretty well lit and it's nice around this area. So it's pretty safe. But I still get nervous if he's like running late about when he's getting back. It's like, okay, because I, of course, you know, you got the parent brains, so you're thinking like, what if he got ran over? What if something happened? What if there's construction? What if he wasn't, what if he's messing with his phone and something happens? It's like, all right, just relax, relax, just text him, you're right back. So the texting stuff, I think that helps because the communication thing is real. So you can just be like, hey, what happens? Like, oh, I'm hanging out with a friend right now. It's like, all right, fine. Yeah, and I, I think uh, to expand on your what if something happened, like the thing that constantly goes through my mind is what if something happened and I could do something if I knew about it or whatever. And then you just sit there and you worry about it until you find out everything's OK. Yeah. And then you, you let it go for a second and then it starts all over again the next day. <laughs> Parenting. You, you know, what age did they start letting you do like stuff like uh, public transportation, like taking the subway or whatever by yourself? Your parents? Um, I, I think, I don't know if they even ever let me do that. That's the weird thing. <laughs> so like for me, because my siblings were certain ages, like there'd be a point where they were able to drive. So and we always lived within walking distance of our, of our grade school. So we always walked to school there. And then for high school, my older brother had a license. So he would get, drop us because uh, he went to the same school. Then my dad would drop us. So they, they made us, they almost never made us use the pu public trans transportation. But we, mm -hmm. I think we were allowed around somewhere around mid high school where it was okay to like, 
take the bus. That was a big thing when I took the bus like the first time. They're like, oh, you took the bus. I'm like, I'm like 15. I'm like, I'm a big guy. And there's really no real reason to worry about this. But yeah, yeah I think it was about 15 when they they kind of like just said, all right, you know, we that's fine. Because the other thing is by the time I turn 16, I'm already driving. So I wouldn't be taking public transportation as much. Did you ever have any sort of uh, close calls or anything in those early days of taking public transportation or like situations where you're like, oh, man, maybe maybe I shouldn't have done this? No, I mean, it was pretty safe, but it was strange. I didn't know exactly how to stop the bus. That's the first thing. I wasn't like taught, like, you know, pull the string, or hit the button. I'm just like, how do, how do people get off this bus? I don't even understand that part. Uh, I don't understand where the stops are. Do they stop at every stop? I don't, I didn't know any of that stuff. So mm-hmm. um, versus nowadays, they actually have like beautiful screens. I, I take public transportation all the time now, mm-hmm. but they have screens and they tell you, okay, this is the next stop. And they have an automated voice versus you're going, <laughs> you have no <laughs> idea what's going on versus, yeah. you know, you're, the next stop is your 84th. And you're like, great, that's fantastic. But I don't think I ran into anything too um, untoward, but it was, mm-hmm. it was mostly just being naive and just not knowing a lot of this stuff because it just wasn't something that my, my folks were big into and so they weren't like take the but versus my son who's taking subways and buses all the time so he knows he's getting better at like hey you know if, if you see a train car right like on the subway and you see a car and it's like empty and the rest of them are packed there's probably a reason why it's empty it's either <laughs> it's a person it's a smell or it's an item or it's got no heat or it's got no uh, AC there's something wrong with that one just mm-hmm. think twice about it. So he's much more educated than that than I was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th- just the improvements in public transportation over the past 15 years have, have been phenomenal. Like I, I lived out here in Los Angeles uh, back in the mid 2000s. And it was like I had to pull up like a map quest listing and print it out and then, you know, make sure that I was here at a certain time where I'd have to wait 45 minutes and I'd get lost trying to take public transit. Now, like you said, it's super easy. They have screens on the on the buses and the mm-hmm. trains and, you know, you can just pull up the app and it'll plan your route for you, give you an ETA. It's a, uh, well, I haven't let my kids do public transit yet. I'd be much more comfortable <laughs> letting them do it now than I would have even, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And uh, having a phone is a giant change and just literally putting it on a route and then finding out, oh, th- this one train is actually delayed. Take a two or three. Mm-hmm. You actually get that on your phone before you even hear it in the, in the station, which is yeah. very, very nice. There's just it's a, there's a lot more convenience right now. Where I'm From is brought to you by Streen Studio. That's S-T-R-E-A-N-N Studio. The web app that puts you in charge of the live show. Streen Studio allows you to take your streaming game to the next level by allowing you to stream to multiple platforms at once. If you want to go to Twitch, if you want to go to YouTube, you can stream to all of those platforms at once, get feedback from your audience, and most importantly, it puts you in control of the show. Now, Stream Studio has several packages that work for just about any type of broadcaster. From the free plan, where you can stream with a watermark, all the way up to the gold plan, where you can have up to eight guests, you can stream to as many social platforms as you want, you can get a web link to share your show with external audiences, and you can even get an iframe so you can embed your live stream show directly into your website. Hey, I love Stream Studio so much, I'm using it to produce this show. I want to thank Screen Studio for supporting where I'm from, and you can give this fantastic software a spin and support where I'm from at the same time. Just head over to our website at billmeeks.com slash where I'm from and click on the Screen Studio banner so they know we sent you their way. 
And we want to thank Stream Studio for sponsoring uh, where I'm from. Go check it out. Great, great service. Back in your old neighborhood, where was your favorite place to eat? And is it and is it still around? Okay, that would actually be in Howard Beach. It was a place called Waterview Diner. I, the last time I was out in Howard Beach was several years ago, and it was still there. Uh, and it was a diner. It was it, we thought it was fancy, but my, my <laughs> anytime we, something good would happen at school or like something good happened for my dad or mom, we'd go out to Waterview Diner and have London broil steaks. My mom always get the fisherman's platter. And I was like, why did she get the fish when we all get the steak? I don't understand this. And <laughs> and the water view itself is like terrible. Like only like two or three of the of the booths can see the water. Like the rest <laughs> of it's just like parking lot. Um, they had this amazing bread. I, this is my memory of it. So I haven't had this food in probably 20 years. I should go back just to see if I don't think it's gonna taste as good as I remember. <laughs> There's no possible way it does. But the bread was fantastic and like the food was really good. We'd go there. Um, and we'd, we'd there's six of us, so that we'd always had the big booth. My dad would talk to the to the guy behind the counter, like, like oh, Actar, blah blah blah. And I'm like, why does he call you Actar? Just, just do you know your first name? He goes, it's just easier this way. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> so we would we'd go there, and so that was that was kind of fun. I don't know. I mean, it's it's the one that I have the best memories of because it was just it was it was fancy then, but now yeah. I'm like, it's a diner, dude. Like, it's not like <laughs> the, it's super bright and like. They have like a yeah. thousand desserts and like <laughs> the menu was pages <laughs> and pages, which I understand if you got four kids, you're like, okay, one of you is going to figure out like somebody's going to be different. So like there's yeah. another like 30 options to eat. So don't, mm-hmm. don't argue with me about what you're going to eat. But that was, that was a place and still around at least a couple of years ago. So if you're, if you're in Howard Beach, uh, check out the Waterview Diner. I'm not being paid to say this. And if it's any good, let me know. <laughs> No, but a diner food is always fun. It's like, it feels like they have like 12 ingredients and they have, every diner has like a 16 page menu. Mm-hmm. What what was your favorite dish to get there? I would get the London broil steak because we weren't, we don't, we didn't really eat a lot of steaks or anything. And my mom, when she would cook beef, she would boil it. And I was like, why would you do that? But she did. And it was awful. So the, to get a good good piece of steak, you'd have to go to the Waterview Diners. I would order that a lot. Uh, the French, the steak fries were fantastic. This, the, I remember French, like I think I had French dressing for the first time there. I remember that being like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is so like rich. and like. But my favorite thing was the London broil steak and steak fries with it. Uh, but And every now and then my mom would make me try some of the jumbo shrimp from her fisherman's platter because she's like, do you like this now? Because I would always be told to try something over and over again until maybe it'll click, maybe it won't. Uh, which I like shrimp now, but I didn't <laughs> then. So uh, the the steak definitely was my favorite. Just out of curiosity, uh, you know, since this is the first place that popped into your mind, were there any like significant moments in your life that happened at that diner? Oh no, no. Other than no. me, uh, my experiments. Now this I. If my son did this, I'd be like, stop it, just stop it. But <laughs> when I was younger, I'd say around like 10 to 12, somewhere around there, I would basically take anything that was left in like random containers and just like put it all in like a somewhat empty like milkshake uh, gl- glass. And mm-hmm. I just like, I just wanted to see the colors mix and stuff. I wanted to see what it would turn into. Yeah. And so I would get in trouble at first about this. And they're like, you know, what are you doing? You're making a mess. And like, they got to clean this up and whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, it's all in the glass. Okay. So I'm not making a mess. <laughs> they're going to throw that. They're going to clean that anyway. I'm like, this is yeah. an experiment. So it became the phrase would be like, oh, IS is doing his experiments right now. Cause I'm like, that was allowed because it was an experiment. If you call it <laughs> science, 
I mean, I should have been right. Like that, that Adam Savage line, like if I just wrote, yeah. uh, wrote down the results, it would be science, but I didn't <laughs> do that. But they, that would be my dumb thing. I would do there a lot because I was a jerk kid. Well, if it makes you feel any better, my first job was as a busser at Bob Evans, and it wouldn't have made that much of a difference to me uh, if there was a bunch of junk in the glass, because it was just like big trash can, and then you just dump everything, throw it in the the dish tank. You know, a a cup full of junk wouldn't have been any worse than a plate full of junk. A cup full of junk sounds like an excellent album title, by the way, in case you're looking for one. Cup full of junk. I, my next album that cu- comes out, uh, I as its diner experience. Uh, yeah, cup full of junk will be the, <laughs> the first, first one. <laughs> it just sounds. It just rolls off the tongue. I as I always like to ask people, just because I had a lot of uh, teachers who had a profound effect in my life. Were there any teachers you had? Growing up, where you're from, that had a profound effect in your life. Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely have. I have some. Uh, almost every single every single teacher I had in in grade school was like a character out of out of some kind of like television show. The more I think about it, obviously it could be amplified by my child memory. But like uh, Miss Miss Conti was my kindergarten teacher, and she was fantastic and sweet and nice as as like any like heroine character in any rom-com you've ever seen. So she was amazing. Then I get to first grade and it's actual Catholic school. Mm. So now Miss Rohan, she did not like children. <laughs> Why is she teaching first graders? I don't know, but she was she was a little bit meaner compared to the super nice one. Then my second grade teacher, she was all right. She got married. I remember she got married in the middle of the year. We're like, we had, to, we had to call her something different. We're like, oh, that was weird. So I learned that people changed their names. I did not know that. <laughs> was that significant in my life? It was because I literally didn't know this was a thing. Third yeah. grade, Mrs. Manjiri drove the biggest white Caprice classic you've ever seen. She looked <laughs> super mean and turned out to be very nice. Uh, Sister Claire, my fourth grade teacher, th- she... So it was a Catholic school. Sister Claire already had yeah. my older brother and older sister as her students. I would get so much crap from Sister Claire. Why aren't you like your older brother? Why aren't you like, because he was a suck up, right? And he would like mm-hmm. clean stuff and like do stuff. I'd get reamed out for like, you know, why aren't you helping me? It's like, you didn't ask me. I don't know what you're talking about. Like I literally had no <laughs> idea what was going on. Um, profound effect by Sister Claire. I think this could have, this. I think it's actually child endangerment now. But like anytime <laughs> a, a bee or an insect, a flying insect would get into the classroom, she'd say, students, mm-hmm. heads down. So we all put our heads down. And then you would hear this noise for the next like 30 seconds. She's spraying raid everywhere. Okay. (laughs) And you feel it come on you. And you're like, oh, this is gross. This is dangerous, right? You think, well, you don't know. So that was, Sister Claire definitely had a mark. (laughs) She made a mark on me because I still remember this to this day. That was fourth grade. (laughs) I had a religion teacher in um, high school because I went to high school in, in Queens as well. And he broke my mind because normally, you know, it's Catholic school. So it's very, it's dogmatic. And you're supposed to... I got an opinion question wrong on a religion question, by the way. I remember that in eighth grade. <laughs> but in high school, this guy was saying, hey, listen, why don't we just challenge this? You know, what? who is the beloved disciple? Could it be Mary Magdalene? He's, make, he's actually asking a lot of questions versus teaching the just the dogmatic version. Yeah. Of it. So it was that was very interesting to me to see after, I think, about 10, 10, 11 years of Catholic school of it just being, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. And I'm not Catholic, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> As my name would probably indicate, this teacher, uh, Mr. Gambini, Gambino, Gambino, he would just tell us, "Hey, look, so he here's the thing. What if, if Jesus is so great? I hope I'm not offending anybody with this. It's like, and he's on the cross. Why doesn't he like just pop off the cross 
yell, I'll be back in three days and like do a couple spins and go back on. Cause he could do that. And I'm like, I, you know, that's kind of a ridiculous idea, but like mm -hmm. you think about it, you're like, huh, you know, they, this is an interesting way to challenge your dogmatic thinking, which that became something that I really enjoyed because none of the other teachers would ever bother to have us question these things. Yeah. That was really eye opening because, you know, to me, it was basically, uh, it's not my religion. It's basically like a history, like a history class of a, of a, of a fiction book. It's like, great. You know, we're doing Lord of the Rings today. Great. But I don't care. Uh, but to make you think about it, I was like, okay, this is great. I liked, I liked that approach just because it was different. I got another teacher I just remembered right now, brother James Marr. He was my math teacher. Oh man. Did he, did he do a number on me? Uh, <laughs> every day, in, this is freshman year of high school. Every day, like we, you know, have, we'd ho have homework. We'd have to go to the board though. And we'd be assigned one of the homework questions to write on the board. So we have our answers. We got to put them up on the board. We got to show it. And mm -hmm. if they were right, you know, they'd be explained to the class. And if, if you weren't, you have to explain that to the class, yeah. which was always very uh, frightening. <laughs> and I almost failed the first two, no, for first quarter of the first year because I was not checking my work. I was being really, really lazy. And uh, he had me go to the board a lot, a lot. And I had so much unfinished work and we had to talk about stuff back and forth. And But he yeah. showed me that you can do the work up to a point where you don't understand it and that's fine. We can figure out a way to solve everything together. It's not, we're not t just testing you on your ability to finish a question. We we're testing your ability to, to see if you can do the, the actual steps, step-by-step. Step. Where did you get stuck? You know, where did you miss something? Because math is a series of steps anyway. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry so much about like, oh, I'm never going to get it. It just broke down things a lot easier. And then I did much better in the class because I did not want to get embarrassed in that class anymore. But yeah, <laughs> Brother James Marr was pretty awesome. Well, those problem-solving abilities, I think probably ha ha has a lot of parallel between where you eventually went to, which is, you know, technology. I'm assuming you got into tech while you were living there, uh, but what kind of gear did you use and what really made you dig in? That would be my dad's fault entirely. He <laughs> was a gadget nut. He would go into these stores on a place called Liberty Avenue, and it would always be like these mom and pop shops. This is before the days of all these you know, Best Buys and big box stores. So, like you basically would be going, this is obviously pre-internet, so you can't really like price, uh, you can't compare prices. Yeah. So we'd go into these electronic shops and he would buy like something called the Watchman, which was a portable television, mm -hmm. uh, which was like the Walkman from Sony. And these things were like amazing. So he'd be like buying these like weird little gadgets and then he'd kind of get bored of them. So I'd start messing with them. Like he had a, a Radio Shack Rolodex thing that was an actual like, like it was a P it was a PDA before it was PDAs yeah. were a thing. So you had a couple of those things and I'd spend a lot of time in Radio Shack with them, just looking at things and learning about stuff. The weird thing is my brother was always into computers. So my folks got him a, a computer. He had an Apple IIe, mm -hmm. which was something I tried to play with. I'm like, I didn't understand it at the time because I was so young. I'm like, it's got a green screen. That's, <laughs> that's great. Wonderful. Yeah. But I think I got, I think I, picked up one of those at a thrift store in like 1997 or something. And I, I couldn't find any software for it. The internet wasn't what it was now or anything. So I think I eventually ended up tossing it. I'm like, oh man, if I had just saved that thing. Oh yeah. There's definitely a lot of tech I wish I had not lost over, over the course of years, but there was, we had a, we had a Tandy computer because we, we went to Radio Shack and Tandy was the house brand. It was called mm -hmm. the Tandy sensation. This, this is mm -hmm. actually how it really sparks everything in my 
tech world because I really love gadgets and stuff and I love playing with the stuff. But this is where I actually got really into computers of all things. So Tandy Sensation had a CD-ROM and had a speaker in it. It's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And I'm playing with it and I crashed a program. Now, the, the Tandy Sensation had a front end that covered up Windows. And I didn't know this at the time because I didn't know Windows. I didn't know any of this stuff. So like it had like a bunch, it's kind of like several different sections. You remember like what the old AOL looks like? And it's like, hey, like here's multimedia and here's like print shop and here's this. So it like had these own like- Community or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's only like a little brick interface. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And it would open things up in full screen. But one day mm -hmm. I crashed that thing and I'm like, oh, what am I seeing? What is this like bluish green screen? What is this? <laughs> it was program manager, right? So I didn't, I'm like, I, I'm like, I can't find the program. I can't bring it back. I'm like, oh my God, I broke the thing. And that's how I learned Windows 3.1. I started just messing around with this thing, sort of messing with this more and more. I actually went to the Radio Shack because I wanted to install a program and I didn't know how to do it because it was a DOS-based program. And this is, this is how long ago this is. When I went to Radio Shack, the lady behind the counter said, you got a, like a piece of paper? And we said, yeah. So he, my dad brought out a notebook and she wrote out all the DOS commands that we needed to do <laughs> to install a game. And I was like, okay, this is amazing. The, the amount of information that people used to know that used to work at Radio Shack, obviously Radio Shack doesn't exist, <laughs> but imagine a big box electronic store where the people there can actually give you command prompts and how to do this thing. And it's not just some teenager who doesn't know what he's talking about and got the job because he wanted to get cheap, cheap video games. No, whatever. definitely yeah. not. This lady knew computers inside and out. I learned DOS. I got a DOS for dummies. I bought that book. I bought uh, Windows for dummies because I didn't know anything. So I learned <laughs> so much and I got really into it. And then Windows 95 popped up. I, mm. I've, oh my gosh, I would read PC Mag, PC World. I'd buy the special editions. Oh, Chicago's coming. Chicago's coming. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> to the point where I asked my dad, I'm like, hey, can we go at midnight to Staples to get Windows 95? And he's like, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> like, <all right. laughs> so we go, we go to Staples in Queens to get Windows 95, the upgrade discs, 13 discs. Mm -hmm. So I stayed up till about 1.30 in the morning installing this because yeah. I just really, and once it actually loaded and there was a start <laughs> button that was on the bottom left and I was like, cool. And then I went to sleep because yeah. like it was too damn late. <laughs> like I wasn't supposed mm -hmm. to be up. So that was, uh, that, that's, I got a lot of gear in Queens through computers and staples and Radio Shack. Yeah, I remember having to swap floppies for big installs like that. Like Windows was, I think even DOS came on three or four floppies yeah. uh, at the time, uh, which was always just a pain because you had to babysit it, right? You couldn't, even if it was going to take an hour, you couldn't just start it and walk away. You had to be there to flip flop. And if you pop one out wrong, then it's corrupted. You have to order a new one or get one from a friend or something. When when the little magnetic slider, slider thing, I don't know the name of it, when that cover mm -hmm. would catch you know that mm. when it would start catching on the inside of the computer, that or the disk drive, yeah. I would, I would, I was freaking out because that happened on my install. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Oh, no. Okay, so like I had to kind of fix it and try to make sure the thing actually works because I yeah. wanted to upgrade another machine too with the same disks, which I know I'm not supposed to do, but whatever. It's Windows 95. Sue me. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but that was so weird that that was a thing. And then eventually I got Windows 95 on a CD-ROM. I'm so excited because mm -hmm. it came with a computer. I'm like, it's one thing. It's only one thing. I don't <laughs> need to have the stack. I used to have, I remember having those floppy disk containers, you know, the ones that little, they'd open up there. Yeah. A smoked plastic on the top of like a beige bottom or whatever, blue. Those three, five 
floppy disks, though, they were so durable. Like I remember in high school, I, I didn't have a special case for my floppy disk. I would just toss it in my backpack. So inevitably that metal clip would fall off and the disk would still work for at least a few weeks until I could get it replaced. It must there. be some magic in the air you were in because in New York, that thing would just be like, ah, I'm dead. Like, <laughs> what, what? I just looked at you funny. Come on, stop it. Well, there are magnets everywhere. I, I I went to high school in West Virginia where they haven't didn't invent magnets until like 1999. So. That that would do it. That's why your discs were safe. <laughs> you know, we're talking tech already. Uh, was it a a pretty supportive environment for young nerds such as yourself? Was there community? Was there resources for you? When I was in grade school and into tech and gadgets and stuff, that was mostly video games. So that community was just, you know, kids playing video games. So we talk about that and trade games and mess with EGM and um, electronic gaming monthly, by the way, for those of you who don't <laughs> read old magazines. I don't know if that's even still a thing. Game Pro, I think, was the other one that was a stapled bound one versus the square back one. So that the community was based in that, essentially. And my, my siblings were into the games as well. So that was grade school. By high school, though, that's when I started talking to my friends in school about, like, the internet and dial-up modems and we were talking about um bulletin bulletin boards that's right i forgot totally about prodigy way back when i was a kid i was on prodigy when i learned about what email was and it was working with a guy because <laughs> i wanted to be a comic book artist and he was helping me do that so like i'm talking to this guy in arizona i'm like how am i talking to a guy in arizona it's for free too it was very strange Back in the day, uh, Prodigy and Usenet news groups, comic book professionals were all over that thing. Like I used to, uh, when I was on CompuServe, I used to go to like a Q&A that John Byrne, the comic book writer, would hold like every month about the, his cool. Superman books that were coming out at the time or whatever. Oh yeah, Man of Steel. So like, think, like that's right, I forgot about like CompuServe, right? I, my, I think mm -hmm. my first thing was Prodigy. That was like a DOS-based yeah. one. That was pretty cool. CompuServe was like the weird third one because AOL was like the, the big one. I remember using AOL yeah. a lot. And and then I remember I remember when I realized you didn't, once you connected to AOL, you didn't have to stay in AOL. You could just open up a browser. I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, what the, I don't need to be in this anymore, <laughs> screw this. But yeah, in high school, we were, there were a lot of chats um, in the actual school about what people were working on, what you could, what you could share though. The thing is that things you could share were literally on floppy drives or floppy disks. Mm -hmm. So 1.44 megabytes is not a lot of data. So we would be like, like, here's a text file of the information you need. It's like, <laughs> yeah, great. That's wonderful. But that school I was in, uh, Malloy, Archbishop Malloy High School was nerdy super nerdy very competitive mm -hmm. still is super competitive but it's that place was it had a computer lab that was something neat so we got to do that so we learned some stuff there so that community was through the actual school so not, other than the original when i started this with prodigy and like online anonymous people it was less anonymous in high school yeah and i just want to circle back real quick and clarify I believe CompuServe, uh, it didn't originally have a GUI. It was like a terminal thing. Like you connected via terminal and then it was all text-based when it started. Okay. I don't remember the text-based version of CompuServe because that was much later. I didn't realize there were so yeah. many different services at the time. Like obviously it's different now, very, very different yeah. now. Yeah, because I remember I was really, because I, th I think by the time we signed up for it, they had the GUI but our computer couldn't run it. So once we got a new computer, I was like, oh my God, I can run CompuServe for DOS. And you know, it's a whole new world, but it really wasn't all that much better. 
Yeah, it, it was it was so annoying. I mean, the modem days and people picking up phones, extensions, and they're hearing the noise. It's like, what's going on with this? And you're like, oh, you just killed this thing. I was downloading this for 20 days, and it's gone now. You had to basically specify around the house. I remember, oh, this sucked. I remember because <laughs> you lived in a, in a house with lots of people. So I had imagine you dealt with this too, where mm-hmm. you're like, nobody pick up the phone. Nobody touch the phone, please, right now. Versus now, so much better. You'd be spending like 30 hours to download or 30 minutes to download a JPEG. And just before it got done, sister would pick up the phone and you'd have to start all over again. So there goes Terry Hatcher. <laughs> oh, the Terry Hatcher. Real yeah, that was a classic. That was a classic. Funny you mentioned Terry Hatcher, though, because one of the first big online communities I ever got into was a, a listserv, a mailing listserv for uh, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. And so Terry Hatcher was a big part of my early internet experience, we'll say. Same here. Big part of my, my internet experience. Um, you learn some things. Uh, you learn some things about yourself with the new adventures of Superman, yeah. which I don't know if it's stream. It must be on some streaming service. Maybe yeah, it's, on it's on Max or Discovery, Max, yeah. whatever they're calling their new thing. You know, in those early days of going around online or and everything, we were taught don't tell anyone your real name. Don't mm-hmm. have a friendly interaction at all and stuff. Did you uh, follow those rules or did you have some early online friendships or relationships? Generally, I kept myself anonymous as possible. I had a you know, handle, but when I was first starting off and I was on Prodigy looking to like, how can I do comic books? That was me being me, which was fine. But like, otherwise I was like, when I got older, I'm like, wait a second. I don't want people guessing stuff. I don't want them to know who I am. Yeah. But yeah, generally I, I got, I got, I was smartened up essentially mm-hmm. over time. I don't know if it was from all the panicked, you know, news coverage of like, oh, kids are on the internet and there's also villains on the internet. You're like, well, I mean, if your kid's dumb enough to like visit with somebody like that, this is so weird nowadays. Like, like you meet strangers from the internet that that's dangerous. Now, like that's how people meet. So yeah. Yeah, you're a stranger from the internet in a way. <laughs> yeah, so. well, it, it's the thing is the weirdos that were on the internet, because I remember when I was in high school and I had an email address, we would talk about this. It was like some of the kids in the school were like, that's silly. Why would you have that? When I got to college, it, this, I'm old. So 1997 is when I go to college and everyone needed to have an email address. And some of the kids, they were like, what is this nerd crap? <laughs> we need email for school. What is this? We this is, Well, you don't need computers for school. This is ridiculous. And so like it became normalized. At this point, like if you don't have an email address, you're really weird. Back then, when you had an email address, you were really weird because yeah. you're trying to explain what an email is. You're like, oh, yeah, so you can just send me a message. It's like, yes, it's free. That's It works. It's real. It doesn't matter what time of day. It'll show up. It's great. Yeah, it, it's like our version of someone from the 1800s trying to explain how like the telegraph worked. Yeah, you can just walk into this office and give them a message and it'll show up across the country and... 30 minutes or whatever it took to travel across 30 minutes? That's impossible. It cannot be. (laughs) Magic witchcraft. (laughs) You did mention uh, when uh, you sent me some information for me to prepare for today that you grew up near JFK Airport. I did. What are the minor inconveniences you experienced growing up next to an airport? Oh, my gosh. So apart from the fact that my home was under a flight path, mm. which meant every now there was this, this this big whoosh from an airline or aircraft above was very annoying. After a while, you kind of tuned that out. It's not eventually you kind of it's weird. You get used to it. But I found it highly annoying because back back when HD TV came out, when you can actually get HD over the over uh, antenna, 
I hooked up our old antenna in the house. I'm like, hey, dad, like we can get HD TV. He goes, how? I'm like, well, we have an antenna. We can do this, right? He goes, okay. So we hook it up. But the thing is, we were watching 24 on Fox. I liked that mm-hmm. show. But every time a plane <laughs> would fly overhead, the picture would break up. You get the pixelation and it would freeze. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, wait a minute. You're telling me that just an airline or aircraft going above the house <laughs> could wreck the signal for a transmission. At the time, I didn't know how much data was being pushed through. But it's yeah. like, but that was very inconvenient because I liked being able to watch 24 in HD because that was like, it was so new back then. Yeah. One of the other places that lived near the same house, by the way, I used to live by Aqueduct Racetrack. And one of the cool things about that was you could hear the national anthem before they would start the races. Mm-hmm. So when we would play basketball in the backyard, we would hear it. So we would stop and pretend like it was like, okay, it's our, we're doing our, we've got a big place here. All right, we're ready to play, ba- play ball. And then eventually they'd stop like, and start playing basketball. So that was kind of a kind of neat uh, side effect of living next to the racetrack. I, I'm guessing it was probably just planes flying like all day and night. But uh, when 24 was airing, you know, that's prime time. And that's also kind of prime time for planes to be landing. So that must have been very frustrating. Yeah, it was. I mean, the thing is, like, I, I when growing up in Queens, one of the things you learn real easily is you can like tune out noises. I could sleep through anything. I still can sleep through pretty much anything. Like right now there there can be sirens and stuff if it's like two in the morning i'm dead to the world so the airplanes while it was annoying when it came to television it was nice when i had when we had to travel because like it's only a mile away in new york (laughs) takes forever by the way like i'm only like five miles away from the airport now but it'll take 40 minutes to get to into queens because it's a nightmare by by car so Mm -hmm. it it was kind of annoying but like like i said you tune it out for the most part except when you're trying to watch tv and it would screw up the tv since we're already kind of talking about airplanes and stuff. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about 9-11. Were you in New York during 9-11? What was that experience like for you? I was not. I was working in Boston at the time. I just finished law school. No, I finished college and I was working as a legal assistant. Mm-hmm. So I remember hearing like in the news, people were talking about, oh, well, an airplane hit a building. And I'm like, well, that's that, that maybe this town doesn't understand how this happens sometimes. Because I was thinking it was yeah. a small plane. I thought, okay, this is just an accident. Mm-hmm. But then another thing happened. Um, so I remember the office uh, manager came out and he's like, okay, everybody we're g- go home. Um, and so we all went home. I remember I bought like a giant thing of beer because I'm like, I don't know mm-hmm. what the hell's happening. I bought a giant thing of beer and I <laughs> sat and watched everything was going on. My, my brother was going to NYU at the time, which is much further away from the towers. But like, you know, you don't, you don't know what's going on at this point. So trying to reach yeah. him, I tried to call him a bunch and it was a nightmare because everything was the telephone lines were, were jammed. You couldn't get to anybody and he was on a cell phone. So that was that was more jammed. Everything was kind of messed up. So on that day, you know, I basically just watched it, made sure my brother was right. He was fine. My folks were in Queens, so they were okay. It was just like this, uh, it was surreal because I was watching this on, on on my television just going like, this. I mean, it looks like a movie. And it's like, because mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like that before. And it was yeah. just so bonkers that's kind of an inappropriate word for it and bonkers isn't the right word but that's the one that came to, came to my mind of like mm-hmm. this is an unimaginable event but i was yeah. in boston at the time and so um i just i basically heard about it and then i saw this i think i was sorry we heard about the second tower then we heard about the pentagon that's when they sent us home so like it was just watching the news all day and then uh, i think my brother's school was closed nyu was closed for a while so he was yeah it was, it was a mess 
Yeah, I remember uh, that morning I was in my dorm room in college uh, uh, working on an assignment or something like that. And I there were people like shouting out in the hallway that something happened at the World Trade Center. I flash back to like, what was that, 93, 92, 93, somewhere oh, yeah, in there right. where there was in the basement bombing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a car bombing or not, it was a van or whatever. But yeah, somebody had a, a giant fertilizer explosive thing that they thought was going to damage the building and it didn't, not by any significant way. And the weird thing is, I mean, the after effects. So here's some, this. I'm going to, I'm not making light of the situation. So bear with me, people watching this at home or on your phone, wherever you are. But one of the things I wanted to do pre 9 11 is like, oh, you know what I want to do? I always want to get a pilot's license. And then I saw the names of these people. I'm like, well, I can't do that now. Great. Thanks a lot for that. And then I was watching yeah. the news and I'm like, okay, I got to look at everybody's names because if any of them sound anything like mine, it's going to be screwy. Like, this is going to be a yeah. real problem. So I was watching, I'm like, there's an Akbar. All right couple Akbars. All right. No Akhtars, no Iases. All right. That's good. Because it was rough being a brown guy around that time. Um, I, I would say for at least another five or six years was always. Yeah. It was super weird. Anytime I would travel, I would people who, who, who think they're being subtle, but you can see that they were panicked around me mm -hmm. and they would, their panic would drop when they would hear me speak. Cause I sound like this. And they're yeah. like, you would just see like the tense person. And I'd be like, so, you know, I've talked to like the, to one of the TSA agents and be like, you know, how's it going today? And then you see their shoulders just drop I'm like, oh, okay. Cause he's, he's one of us. It's like, yeah, I'm from Queens. I don't have mm -hmm. time to be plotting stuff. I was at the time I'm like, I was worried more about uh, law school at the time. Cause I was between college and law school. I don't have time to yeah. like a person. <laughs> I was like, I don't have time to plan something like that when I'm trying to like get to school and like make sure my assignments are done. I know that doesn't sound like a lot of big problems, but to me it was so like, it was very, very difficult to have this name and this skin tone. Yeah. I mean, New York is pretty welcoming and Boston, not really. Uh, Boston is not exactly known to be the most welcoming of all races. And if you don't know anything about that, look it up. Um, <laughs> just look up any interview with the Celtics, quite honestly. Watch anything with KG. He'll talk about it. But yeah, it, it was it was rough for a while and not i still haven't thought about getting a pilot's license since because i'm like mm -hmm. my name is going to be get me flagged but on the other side i do have my tsa pre-check so i don't have to worry about that anymore uh i do talk a lot so people hear me <laughs> and they relax a lot uh, and they just get annoyed because i'm annoying that's much better yeah yeah it, that, that's a much better outcome than you know targeting you for you know something you can't change right yeah i went to college in west virginia oh boy <laughs> I remember leaving the dorm and going up to class. I, I, I was a smoker back then. So there was a guy out front. Uh, I bummed a cigarette off and we were talking about it. And I had never really heard someone kind of like unload all this racial, like specifically for Middle Eastern people. And I was just like, oh, my God, like this is like this is a whole new era of these people who are cruel thinking that they can be openly cruel yeah, because it's justified. I mean, when I was growing up in Queens, when I was really young, uh, there, there, my folks were from Pakistan. So Pakistan wasn't really like an unknown country in Queens. All right. Because mm -hmm. like there's India, which is massive with like a billion people. Right. And then there's yeah. Pakistan, this little break off thing that people don't really know about because it's like less than a hundred years old. It's a small country. So anytime I'd get racial stuff when I was a kid, they'd be like, you Indian, whatever. And it's like, I'm not Indian. All right. So that's a whole other thing, guys. And so like, if you're going to be, yeah. I mean, I guess. On the plus side, people are more educated, so they can be better racist. So, good on that. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that that's always the repercussions of of nine eleven and being brown. That was mm -hmm. 
I've only gotten a couple of weird internet comments about my race. So like at first I get a lot of crap about like, you talk too fast or your lighting's bad. I'm like, that's fine. I can fix that. <laughs> but like certain things I was like, okay, that, all right, this, this is, a, this is racist. I can't really argue that. It's like, well, those were not very usual So that on the plus side. Yeah. Well, that's good. That event definitely sort of like opened up a door for people who were kind of already like saying that sort of thing behind closed doors to be more out in the open with it, which is is just a shame and something that I don't think we've really recovered from yet in a lot of ways. Like yeah. you still hear a lot about, uh, you know, people, you know, really digging in on someone's nationality as a reason not to trust or like them. Yeah, it's it's kind of a silly thing to be like, yeah, you happen to have ancestors from a place where something happened. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, what what where like, where are you from? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, by the yeah. way, if anybody's watching this and you're you're wondering, hey, am I am I a bit racist? If you've asked this question, where are you really from? It might be a little racist. Don't ask anybody that question. I'm gonna say mm-hmm. that to if you're watching this and you're like, I, how do I be a better human being? And I'm not a good human being. Just don't ask yeah. anybody where you're really from because it's mm-hmm. so weird. Because I've gotten that question like, where are you from? I'm like Queens. They're like, oh, no, where are you really from? I'm like, I was born in Brooklyn. Okay, but we moved when I was three. You good now? And they're like, yeah. and they're like, come on. I'm like, yeah, you come on, move. Let's move on with this mm-hmm. because I just it doesn't it doesn't enhance the conversation or. You get a very strange, oh, I've heard of somebody from there. And it's like this weird story. And you're like, yeah, that's not accurate. And I have no idea what you're talking about. And okay, just let's not, I'm not going to bond with you over that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as someone who is from German heritage, like if someone came at me, like asking me questions about Germany, I'd be like, I don't know, uh, Sea World War II, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I like bratwurst. Consult your history books and Oktoberfest, and we're good. All right, Ayaz. Well, uh, we're coming up to our first game here. This game's called Hometown Hot Takes. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you two things that are somewhat based around your hometown. Uh, This or that questions, and you're going to have to tell me, pick one, and give me a justification as to why. Make sense? Yes. Okay, cool. So first up, the nanny versus king of queens. King of queens, because I found friend Dresha's voice so annoying. <laughs> uh, and queen, king of queens, I've watched. I've watched the entire run of it. It was pretty good. I tried to rewatch it recently, and I'm like, it's not as good as I thought. And um, their version of queens, they were somewhere closer to Briarwood, where my high school was. So Queens has got a lot of different parts. I grew up in the suburbs of Queens, which is very different than when you're seeing a bunch of apartment buildings. Or okay, the one thing I got, I'm going to complain about. King of Queens, the other thing we're complaining about is that they had this California layout to like where the garage was. Nobody's mm. garage is behind their house and like this alleyway. This is all like LA stuff. <laughs> this is not how Queens is built. Like New York City doesn't have alleyways. Like all this crap you see yeah. on TV, BS. So, but the <laughs> King of Queens over Fran Drescher's The Nanny, which is an excellent show, I hear. All right. So, a uh, street hot dog versus cheap pizza. Are we talking about like when I was a kid or like right now? Let's go with right now. Oh, then it's going to be a street hot dog because I, I don't really do cheese now. <laughs> that makes it much easier. Yeah, and those uh, those bucket slice places really don't do like the vegan cheese options or anything. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not messing with that right now. I'm too old. <laughs> Back then, I'd probably say I'd probably go with the, well, if I was a kid, probably pizza. All right, Corona Park versus Central Park. That's a tough one. That is really tough. Like I, I have childhood memories from Corona Park, and that was really neat and everything. And I think that's also it's partly featured in Men in Black. But Central Park, I will pick over Corona Park because there's a lot of weird, weird stuff. 
at Central Park. I live near it. I've been able to go there a lot. A lot of musicians are there. Weird like uh, acrobatics happen every now and then. <laughs> there's free concerts in there. There's there's a lot of really cool happenings, whether you know it or not. So like there's and there's always a nice. What's really odd about Central Park is that there's always a quiet spot you can find, considering it's in the yeah. heart of the city or part of Manhattan. It is just, it's like a, it's like this weird like Zen place in the middle of madness. So <laughs> Central Park. We got to go on a vacation right before the pandemic happened in New York City. One of my favorite memories is we were walking through Central Park. There was like a booth and you could go up to the booth and get a chess set and play chess. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Or you can like, like, get in a boat. It's <laughs> <laughs> like random weird. Like, here's the boathouse. So, yeah, get in a boat. It's like, all right, need a bike? Here's a bike. It's like, all right, this is it's very, very uh, it, it's equipable, I guess, or it gives you equipment. All right. JFK versus LaGuardia. Oh, JFK, 100%. Although I've not been to the new LaGuardia, I've heard it's gotten a lot better. But LaGuardia, from what I grew up, when I grew up, it was a uh, it was a hole. It was a terrible, terrible place to be flying out of. Uh, <laughs> it, it was just it was just so run down and lousy. JFK is no walk in the park either because it's an international air- airport, so it's huge, and there's so many people there, and they're, everyone's confused, but at least it's well lit. It's laid out in a large space. The is also really small, by the way. So like, so you have, you have small and crappy. <laughs> it's it, it's different when you're like, because you, you feel like you're trapped in LaGuardia. At least that's what it used to be like. But I would pick JFK over LaGuardia any day at this point. Uh, we've already had a street hot dogs question. I'm going to give you another challenge now. Will street hot dogs still win? We'll see. Street hot dogs versus a good bagel with locks and capers. Well, I don't like capers. But I will go with a good bagel over a hot dog because I like bread a lot. And bagels in New York are great. Yes, I've had bagels elsewhere. No, I've not had a Montreal bagel, but here they're fantastic. Uh, the ones <laughs> in Petaluma, surprisingly not bad. If you go to the right places, mm-hmm. Noah's Bagels in Petaluma, if you're in Petaluma, California. But yeah, bagels, I'll pick a bagel over a hot dog pretty, pretty much any day. <laughs> My thing is, is I need to make sure there's at least some sort of protein on it because I feel so bad eating all the carbs in a bagel. I'm like, I have to cut this with something <laughs> to justify it. No, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's, it's to me, it's like it's, a, it's having a dessert. Might as well say like you want a, like a piece of cake or a pie or a donut or a bagel. I'm like, yeah, they're all in the same category. <laughs> all right. And uh, last but not least, uh, this I don't think this one's going to be very difficult for you. Mets versus Yankees. That would be the New York Yankees. I am a Yankees fan since the 80s. I did this out of spite. Uh, That is completely (laughs) true. My my old brother's a Mets fan, and he was a big Mets fan when they won in 86 because that happened. It actually did happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't like you, so I don't like your team. So I've followed the Yankees since then, and the Yankees were terrible at times in the 80s, and they were terrible sometimes in the 90s. But I saw them win a lot, which has been really fun. Been out to Yankees games and Mets games still. I'm not going to – I mean – I'm not going to root against the Mets. I don't have time for that. And there's some people are like, <laughs> well, you know, if you like the Yankees, you must hate these other teams. It's like, no, I don't hate these yeah. other teams. I don't care. I don't have time for this because I'm focused on the Yankees. I'm not focused on <laughs> the Mets. They're in a totally different division. I mean, a different league even. Like, just leave them alone. But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely the Yankees every single day of the week. Yeah, you don't have to be anti-something to be pro-something else, probably. Right. It, I it's think a that's good lesson to take away. Hometown Hot Takes. You won the game, Ayaz. Uh, you won all the points. You won all the prizes, which are none. I did uh, it. I won it's nothing. Symbolic. Where will I put nothing? <laughs> I will have. I will have to make space for nothing. I look forward to this. You can. You can hang it up on that big white void you have behind you. <laughs> so it'll be good. But it might clash. 
<laughs> All right. Well, we're going to uh, talk some more with Ayaz about, you know, growing up in NYC and everything. But first, we have to take a quick break from our sponsors. So hang tight and we'll be right back. Where I'm From is brought to you by Stream Studio. That's S-T-R-E-A-N-N Studio. The web app that puts you in charge of the live show. Stream Studio allows you to take your streaming game to the next level by allowing you to stream to multiple platforms at once. If you want to go to Twitch, if you want to go to YouTube, you can stream to all of those platforms at once, get feedback from your audience, and most importantly, it puts you in control of the show. Now, Stream Studio has several packages that work for just about any type of broadcaster. From the free plan, where you can stream with a watermark, all the way up to the gold plan, where you can have up to eight guests, you can stream to as many social platforms as you want, you can get a web link to share your show with external audiences, and you can even get an iframe so you can embed your live stream show directly into your website. Hey, I love Stream Studio so much, I'm using it to produce this show. I want to thank Stream Studio for supporting where I'm from, and you can give this fantastic software a spin and support where I'm from at the same time. Just head over to our website at billmeeks.com slash where I'm from and click on the Stream Studio banner so they know we sent you their way. That's a pretty neat looking service. Um, and we're back. We want to thank Stream Studio for sponsoring uh, where I'm from. Uh, now, Ayaz, what took you out of the Big Apple? What took you out of uh, Queens? Uh, college. I went to school in Boston. And the thing is, I remember checking out schools and um, I thought Boston was nice because it was greener because I grew up in Queens and it's very, very brown and, and uh, gray and it's got a lot more concrete. <laughs> and one of the things is my older siblings, they went to school closer to my folks. And as I I think I might be the most rebellious of the four kids, I wanted to get away from my, my parents and kind of have my own thing, kind of like essentially like a television spinoff. All right? like they moved Frazier to Seattle, they moved Ayaz <laughs> to Boston. Okay, that's what happens. So I went to Boston for school at, at Boston University. And it was nice. And they, I, there was a bit of a culture clash because there was stuff I didn't know. Like, I had no idea the subway stopped. And this is this sounds silly, but it's true because I like somebody would tell me the last train is at two, and I was like, "What do you mean the last train? There's no last train." They go, "I'm like, what happens?" They go, "The train service stops." I'm like that's weird. Why would that happen? I don't understand that. And so that happened. Um, and that school, Boston University, was is pretty good. I liked it there. The thing about that town, and I called it a town, and they always hated it when I called it a town because it's not a town. <laughs> but what it, that place. It's it's got so many colleges. It's got so many young people there. So I remember seeing the Water Boy when I was out in theaters, and we were all like, basically, we were this demographic for the movie because everyone laughed at the exact same time, the exact same loudness, for the exact same amount of like the duration, and then it stopped over yeah. and over and over again. So that's what got me out of New York for several years. While you were there, did you get uh, much of a chance to absorb the local culture in Boston? Like, what were some of your favorite Bostonian things that you got into while you were there? The Celtics would be actually one of the things I got into there because the Celtics were terrible at the time. And the the school would always, they'd have tickets for sale for like two bucks. And so like two bucks is nothing. So it's two dollars and we'd buy a bunch of tickets and we'd go up to to it wasn't TD Garden then, whatever it was, whatever it was called then, a fleet center. That's what it was called. And you you get you were back up against the wall. 
You're literally <laughs> all the way up and back. But it's basketball. It's a small arena, so you can see stuff great. So I got into the Celtics there. I got, got really into college hockey because Boston University is a hockey school. And we used to, we, I didn't play there. <laughs> BU used to have a really small uh, venue for their hockey games that had a really low roof. And so mm -hmm. it would, the, the sound would just bounce right back down and we would just be chanting at the opponent, every opponent all the time. And you could hear it. It would just, just be deafening. But they recently, not recently, Several years after I left, they moved into a much larger arena. It's called the Gannis Arena. They've run shows there now. Like I know AEW Wrestling was there every now and then. Mm -hmm. But that place just doesn't have the same acoustics. It was kind of a bummer because the noise that would happen with, with BU hockey was great. So I got into hockey that way a lot because I I still enjoy watching hockey. Yeah. What's weird is like I started looking up some of the people I went to school with. And I think one of the heads or the head, the president of like the Rangers it went to BU and he was a player there. I'm like, oh, that oh, was wow. weird. So like I got into... <laughs> to, <laughs> It's, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? This man's already won <laughs> a bunch of, of Stanley Cups and he's running the Rangers. And I'm like, okay, that's good for this guy. Um, See, this is exactly why I don't follow anyone I went to high school with on Facebook. Because <laughs> I'm going to be constantly comparing. I saw the name and I'm like, that can't be right. And I started the Wikipedia hunt and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So hockey and the Celtics, because I was, when I watched basketball in the 90s, I watched Jordan. I liked watching the Bulls because Jordan was playing. I watched him on the Wizards too. It wasn't the best thing to watch, but I watched it. But I didn't have a real local team. And like I said, my brother, he likes local teams. So he liked the Knicks. And I'm like, I didn't want to watch the Knicks because they also, they were playing against the Bulls a lot. So I wasn't a fan of that. Yeah. While I was in Boston, got really into the Celtics. So it's still weird. So I'm an odd Yankees and Celtics fan, which confuses a lot of people because they're like, you're a Red Sox fan, right? I'm like, absolutely not. I am <laughs> not. I'm, I'm not an anti-fan either. I don't go and like, yeah. I didn't, back in the day when I was in school, like I was ready into baseball, watching baseball a lot. But like you could hear Fenway Park from one of my friends dorms so like we'd be hanging out and you would hear there was a game i think it was like 13 and one it was pedro versus uh clemens and clemens got rocked and you would mm -hmm. hear it so the thing is we were watching it on tv but you would hear it first from the from fenway <sighs> and then you'd see it like oh god it's now 12 to 1. oh god oh, it's wow. 13 to 1. um Spoilers. at least i was that way yeah for me, it was. For my, for my friends who are all from New England, they're like, yeah, this is great. I'm like, yeah, it's not so great. But I also didn't talk smack back then because I didn't want them. I didn't want anyone talking smack to me. And I was right, by the way, because the Yankees have that historic collapse against the Boston Red Sox, blowing a 3-0 or 3-1 lead. I can't remember, but still uh, horrible. Uh, but yeah, so the I got into, I guess, more sports there. What else, what else is in the culture there? I mean, the thing is, since everyone in the schools from somewhere else and there's so many different universities there there was a lot of just international flavors so like you would just try out anything like i remember having a chicken foot it was cooked and everything it wasn't like i just you know grabbed the chicken yeah, uh yeah. we tried just tried a lot more experimental foods there so i'm like what is the boston culture exactly that's a good place to go to college though because that's kind of what college is for right is sort of like you know experimenting with who you want to be as an adult you know? oh yeah a lot of a lot of experiments there and since there's a lot of kids there's a lot of stupid ideas that get carried through <laughs> well i one more boston question just because uh i don't know if you know this about me most people who know me pretty well know this about me my favorite band in the whole wide world is bare naked ladies who have a very special connection to Boston. So I was wondering if you ever had any sort of run-ins uh, with uh, BNL and bare naked ladies, especially like 
that week one week kept came or that month one week came out. I, I remember there being footage of like tens of thousands of people like attending a concert downtown in Boston. No, I, I, I wasn't into that then because I remember in college, I got really into the Beatles and more into metal and very naked ladies didn't fit that aesthetic. So I didn't really uh, pay attention to that stuff. But I do remember now you, you bring us certain things back. I'm like, that's right. I used to go to, to a lot of music clubs because there'd be always these like up and coming bands and they'd be cheap. So I went to these things a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so I tried to get into that a bit, but I didn't, I couldn't really find a lot of friends to go with me on these. I'm like, I don't want to keep going yeah. alone because I look like a weirdo. There was, <laughs> there was that and file sharing. I got way more into technology in, in mm. college. I forgot about that because we had ethernet everywhere and we, the amount of yeah. file sharing in a giant dorm that <laughs> has like thousands of people in it. Oh, there's so much music I got to yeah. obtain. Let's go with that. Yeah, I, I, I can remember like the first couple of years Napster was out going to because our college didn't have Ethernet in the dorm rooms, oh. uh, but a college right down the hill from us did. And I remember going there and being like, man, you can download an entire album in like a minute. That's it. Like I had to set that up and let it run all night on my AOL account or whatever to get it to go through. And it was a dedicated line and it wasn't phone. And I was like, what is this connector? Like it's an RJ45. I'm like, oh, OK, I'm learning. <laughs> all right. What is this? All right. I need to make sure I have an Ethernet. <laughs> A network interface card. Okay, got it. Like I learned, I had to learn. <laughs> everyone has to learn this stuff. I, like yeah. I, I remember being so excited because also at the the new business school that just opened when I got there, they had Ethernet mm -hmm. everywhere. Like if you were like by the potted plants in like, the hallway, like there's like the pot the pot itself actually had like an Ethernet jack, and you're like, all right, that works. But it was really weird because that was like it was the beginning of like the internet. I mean, like being used by everybody. So it was it was a it was an interesting time. You know, growing up on dial up, I was really I was so jealous of people in college who had like a, a full like dedicated line and everything and could download stuff really all, all their JPEGs and minutes, you know. Download it. You could just you could just look at a web page and you don't you don't bother to save it. You didn't have to worry exactly. about seeing it again. You're like, oh yeah, I can call it back up. <laughs> I bookmarked it. Something I wanted to ask you about, uh, after Boston, you went to Vermont to study lawyering. We've already touched on this a little bit. After, you know, going and going through the whole program and everything, why why did you not pursue that? And why did you circle back around to tech? Okay, so this story. Uh, I went to Vermont Law School uh, for reasons I can explain at a different time. But I went to Vermont Law School, and it's an environmental school of all things. And so I finished that off. And one of the things is when I was, when I was there, though, I got really into tax law because mm -hmm. I just found it interesting. It, if you're ever looking for the most creative law on the planet, tax law is some of the most creative law on, in the world because when people have money involved, they will come up with the craziest arguments to keep it. So I really enjoyed that stuff. So I actually ended up going from Vermont Law School to, to New York University School of Law to get my master's in tax law, which is nuts. But the thing is, when I got out of school, it was 2008. And 2008 was this massive recession where every out every like new lawyer was taking was competing with lots of other like top tier lawyers who were taking a lot less money. Yeah. So the market was completely crap. And at the time, I had already been writing tech blogs. I was already on the I was already a writer on the Apple blog. I like I like just writing about tech. I just do that for fun. Mm -hmm. For the bar exam, I was going nuts. I had to study for like 12 hours a day or so. And I mean that literally I really the only thing I would do in the course of a day was like I had my papers with me. So if I was at the supermarket, one, I would be outside. It was amazing. It was actually outside my, my home. But I had these papers on the shopping cart, studying, studying, studying. And I was going mad. Like, I mean, like, I felt like I was going crazy. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, you know what I'm going to do while I'm studying for the bar? I'm going to start a podcast. Mm. 
that's what I'm gonna do. It's 2006. I'm gonna start a podcast. I'm like, how hard could it be? Um, and it's funny because I'm friends with some of the people that I was like, you know, I'm watching your show. I think I could do that. Um, so I, I, I talked to them. I'm like, let's try it. So I started doing it. I was like, what's in the market? So all these tech podcasts, so I did like an entertainment podcast at the same time. So I'm like, that's, that was different, different than now. Obviously, can you imagine movie reviews online? <laughs> uh, that was what was the first podcast you ever listened to out of curiosity? First podcast I listened to was, I think it was just called Revenge of the Screensavers. It wasn't it was like the original, like before it was called Twit. It was like, yeah. that was the original ones. I started mm -hmm. listening to that because I used to watch tech TV. When I was in Boston, I'd come back home, I'd watch Pardon the Interruption on ESPN, and then I would switch it to tech TV to watch the Screensavers. And I would just watch that. And so when when I heard this guy had a podcast, I'm like, I'll try it out. So I started listening to to that. But then I remember Leo saying like, you know, if, if there are a lot of people out there like they can't stand that we keep talking so long, blah, blah, blah. He goes, if you really, really want to listen to a good podcast out there, try out Buzz Out Loud on CNET. <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's Tom Merritt, there's Molly Wood, there's Veronica Belmont. They do a tight show every day. And if you, you know, if you want to you just listen to them, you can listen to them and us. You can do whatever you want. And that's how I started getting into CNET, which is really weird. So like that's that was like the first podcast and Buzz Out Loud was like the big second one. And that Hack 5 was in there. I used to watch them yeah. a lot. I'm friends with these people, so it's weird. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. They, that was something that I, especially in the early days, I think Leo Laporte uh, from Twit uh, mm -hmm. was very keen on was um, cooperation, I think he called it. Like uh, where, you know, this podcasting space is new. We're not in competition. We're in cooperation. Obviously, it's a much different landscape now, but I always like that idea of no one who, who is even in your same niche or whatever is your competitor. They're your friend. And uh, that's something I kind of took in because I did fan casting for several years. Like I would constantly have like we did a show on Gotham and Once Upon a Time on ABC. So I'd have all the other Gotham podcasters or Once Upon a Time podcasters come on my show because we're not really competing with each other because we're different flavors of the same thing. So if right. someone likes one thing, if someone likes, uh, I don't know, Code Red Mountain Dew, they're probably going to like Tangerine Splash Mountain Dew, too. You know, it's just different flavors for different folks. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. Like, there's there's I want to say infinite time, but people have that they have time to choose what what kind of thing they want to listen to today. Like, th there are days I'm listening to Simpsons podcasts these days, or I'm listening to wrestling podcasts. Or whatever day I'm feeling like, or I'll just go completely different with like a fitness podcast. Like, you don't have to like this is my one thing. It's like, well, there's <laughs> lots of time and lots of space to listen to things if you want. That being said, we were always felt very complimented when our listeners would write in and tell us we were way better than all the others. Uh, but, I, <laughs> you know, I'm still friends with all those folks. Okay, I asked time for another game. This game I really love. It's called Wheel, Wheel of, of Anecdotes. Anecdotes. So I'm going to give you a suggestion, and your challenge is to respond with a short anecdote from your hometown. Uh, the shorter, the better. Make sense? Okay, I will try. Okay, Spider-Man. He went to school in Forest Hills, where I went to school. Was uh, I, I mean, I know there were some decades between uh, his time in Forest Hills and yours, but was it a pretty accurate portrayal, you think, in the comics? or? In the comics, yes. I want to say the Raimi Spider-Man, yes. And in the new trilogy... Yeah, they're doing. It's a different part of Queens, but yeah. Okay, the subway. Uh, I'm terribly paranoid on the subway. I literally keep my back against a pole because there have been a lot of people who've been pushed into the tracks lately. That's literally mm -hmm. true. Oh wow, really? Mm -hmm. uh, has have you been more cautious going on it since you know the pandemic and everything? I, I'm assuming so. 
Oh yeah. I've, 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 but the other thing is I was always always a germaphobe or a light germaphobe anyway. I was always the guy with, with, with sanitizer on me. So mm-hmm. things didn't really change too much with me other, other than I wore a mask. <laughs> okay, scary. When I was eight years old, I got to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street because my aunt was babysitting us. I couldn't sleep for two weeks. <laughs> I, and that that's, yeah, that's way too young to be watching a Freddy Krueger movie probably. I mean, it turned out, you know, I, we actually watched it with my with my son now. He's, he's 12. We saw it in the theater. And mm-hmm. it was so much less scary than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I was eight and I was freaking out. But like now you can like, oh, here's an interview with, with Robert England. So it's so less scary. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, that was, I remember that. And like, it definitely colored my view of a nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And you were also kind of growing up in an environment where there wasn't as much, you know, media knowledge either, you know, so, so you didn't know what to expect from a Freddy Krueger movie necessarily, you know? My, my aunt, she was just like, hey, you know, I got this movie, I rented it, and uh, I know it's kind of scary. You sure you guys can watch this? And I'm like, I don't know. Sure. And <laughs> yeah, I just, <laughs> what a dummy I was. But yeah, you couldn't look it up. It's, it's like, all right, whatever. Let's try it. Okay, snow. My gosh, the amount, my freaking school never closed, never freaking closed. You'd hear the thing, you had to put the radio on and listen <laughs> and listen. You, you know how annoying it is to listen for something that never comes? It's just mm. going like, you know, PS 100, this school, that school, and yeah. we're done. Because you're waiting for that part and you're like, my school's not on that list. My school's <laughs> never closed. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, NYC, it's very much a pedestrian run town kind of, so schools probably don't close nearly as much as they do other places for that sort of thing. Oh, no, they, they changed their mind. It seemed like the second I graduated from high school, they're like, oh yes, the children need to be <laughs> saved. Let's like, let's close every, because my younger brother was still going to that school. They would close like every like year. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, how did this change? But also I can't feel, I don't feel that much ill will. It's yeah. like, yeah, he got the day off, snow day, good for him. Do you feel specifically targeted that you didn't get as many snow days? Like they waited until after you left? I think a little part of me believes that. A <laughs> tiny bit. Okay, Times Square. Uh, I got recognized at Times Square once, which was very strange. For, from uh, the podcasting stuff, I'm guessing? Yeah. yeah. Some some show I did, and I was like, oh, you're from, like, first, when they point at you, you're like, <laughs> okay, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> and they're like, mm-hmm. you're Ayaz. And I'm like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And they're like, oh, yeah, I watch the yeah. thing. So, I, yeah, that, that's Times Square. Yeah, was it one of those things where they come up, they identify that they know you, they say they like the thing, and then it's really awkward because you don't have anything left to talk about? Well, I, 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 for some reason, I naturally just said, after they pointed at me and then came up to me and then said, you know, whatever, I just said, I'm Ayaz, and they shook their hand. They're like, well, I know. I'm like, I'm like what is your name? <laughs> and they said their name, and I'm like, yeah, and then we started just chatting a little bit. But that's, that, that's like my go-to at this point. So if somebody recognized me or something, I do introduce myself because they often forget to. So I'm like, well, that seems to work. So I like that. Okay, last but not least, Bodega. It's like I got some stories. I'm not proud of some of the stories. So I'm not saying those. Um, <laughs> I'll just stop at the local one that's near me. Um, uh, to this point, the <laughs> the sandwich guy at the Bodega that's always open, this place is 24 hours, he knows me at this point because I come stumbling in around 2 o'clock in the morning and he makes me a chicken Caesar wrap almost automatically which is nice, but also kind of scary that he knows exactly what I want to eat at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you can't get away with anything there. You're a known quantity. Yep, (laughs) it's weird. Nice, Uh, well that does it for Wheel Wheel of of Anecdotes. Anecdotes. I'd like to say I as, 
you've won again. Uh, I, I will send you another nothing to p- put on your wall next to the other nothing. I will place it you, so. very well next to it. I'll make sure I get some wall anchors <laughs> for the nothing. So uh, you're back in the NYC area now. Uh, so have you been back to the old neighborhood? What's changed since you left? No, there's a giant casino there now. Uh, the racetrack, uh, Aqueduct Racetrack next to it now is this, there's this big casino resort world, I want to say. And that is weird because I, I, my mom likes to go to Atlantic City and stuff. But we went to this place once, resort world. And it's so strange to see this massive enclosed box in Queens. Because like mm-hmm. usually you think of Queens, like the suburbs, you walk around or you get on you get in the car or whatever yeah but to get into this enclosure <laughs> essentially this massive enclosure in queens especially that part of queens is really weird so there's that there was the remember when, where i went to high school they've they've finished the air train which is this like this monorail thing that attaches one airport to another thing i don't know what it, what it actually attaches to i've never used it but that was in planning when i was in school and there was protests against it and they did, you know one of those nimby things not in my backyard things so that's yeah. changed the van wick that hasn't changed. That sucks. It's I think it's wider now, but the Van Wyck Expressway is the mm-hmm. is is oh my god, it's one of the slowest, worst <laughs> freaking expressways I've ever been on. Uh, that's still it still sucks. So I, um, I think I've only been in it on an or on it in an Uber. And yeah, it was it was not a fun Uber ride for sure. They changed the exit. My mom's exit was like one B, and then they, now they made it one W. And I'm like trying to explain to the driver this one B, and it's like there's no one B. I'm like, what do you mean there's no one B? <laughs> He's like, there's no one B. I'm like, okay, well when we when we go close to it, I'll tell you where we're going. Like they 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 made it the A and the B and the E and the W, I think. And it's like, I get it, I understand that, mm-hmm. but I assume it had been that it's been that way. The A and the B had been been that way for at least ten years of my actual memory. So like, yeah, why change it? I don't know, but they did. I yeah that must be that's probably really rough moving back to an area after being away for so long and just like all the little things that have changed you're like oh I can take a shortcut here and then that shortcut's not there anymore it's a you know a convenient food mart or something yeah that that, that reminds me the Pinocchio's deli is gone I used to like that place I used to get sandwiches there that I think is just some different deli the flash queue which was a pool hall that I wasn't supposed to go to that is also <laughs> no longer there but they had Street Fighter too and that's why I went there. But yeah, a lot of a lot of places are gone. Considering there are so many places that are gone and you're back now, what are some places that you're liking right now that you might recommend for people to check out? So mm-hmm. if you're gonna go to Queens and you're gonna go to my part of Queens, go to Pizza Port. That is, I think, near Lefferts. It's a it's a really good pizza joint in my memory. So I don't know if it's still good. Just sorry about <laughs> that. Uh where else could you go? There's a place called Trackside. I, I lovingly, lovingly say this. It's like a dive bar. It's 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 uh-huh. near the Home Depot. It's by the uh, racetrack as well. It's called Trackside. Go figure. Uh, my wife and I, we went there recently. And well, this is the pre-pandemic. We went there and we ordered two beers. And the lady said two. We said two what? She says two dollars. And we've been in Manhattan so long. We, we're like, <laughs> what? Like these, so these, we, this is like Bud Lights. But, but they're a buck yeah. a piece. So if you like some cheap beer, good atmosphere, good people, go to Trackside. Um, if yeah, you, that that's like almost less than you or less than you would pay if you just picked up like a six pack. Yeah. I mean, the glasses were <laughs> small, so you're probably getting like three quarters of a can, but who, I mean, who's, you're not going to, you can't really complain there. Especially after three of them. <laughs> <laughs> the last place I'd suggest in Queens, um, go to Austin street in 
Forest Hills because there you'll find like really cool bunch of shops there. There's like there's Pearl. That's an art store. So if you like to draw, it's fantastic. There used to be comic book shops everywhere around there. I don't know if they all exist anymore, but I, I went back to Austin Street in the last like five years. It's still really fun. So if you like walking around, it's not a mall. It's an actual street. And like there's like lots of little stores, like a lot of cool stuff you can find there and good places to eat. Ayaz, it has been fantastic getting to talk to you really for the first time. I think we got along really well. I've been worried about you being an asshole for so long and you weren't. So that's perfect. Uh, that's, no, that's, that usually the, that's usually what I hear. Uh, I hear that <laughs> I'm expecting you to act this way. And most times they say it's about 50-50 how it turns out. You know, we... We, we tend to troll each other online, it's yeah, okay, yeah. but I, I'm glad we were super friendly in person. If people want to check out what you're doing, where they, can they go? Well, you can go to the dumpster fire, twitter.com slash IYAZ, I-Y-A-Z. <laughs> I'm there and I, I promote my own stuff there. And like on the bottom, you'll see this, this old nerd dot finite comedy. I really should have set this up better. But if you go to this old nerd.com, uh, that's the site where I have my show that I'm doing these days. That show is a... Uh, it's a do-it-yourself kind of tech show. So you want to have the most tech-forward home and life as possible. That's the show I do. I fail a lot, so you don't have to. The projects are meant to be short because the idea behind it is you don't have a lot of time because, uh, you know, you got, like, kids and you have, like, podcasts to listen to or, like, things to watch or, like, you know, responsibilities like, you know, mowing lawns or whatever else you want to do. The tech projects we put together on the show are usually fun improvements. We always make sure that we check if everybody in the house is happy with it. Because if you're adding technology to your home, you better make sure everyone in the house is happy with it. Otherwise, it ain't worth doing. Yeah, it, it I, I really enjoy it too because it feels like it feel the content feels very organic. It's like you start one project and you run into a little corner of an issue. Mm -hmm. And then the next video is all about that issue or like refining that issue. So it's it, it kind of feels like it, it builds off each other like a nice improv scene or something. It does seem to happen that way because you're trying to fix one thing and then you're fixing another 15 just to make one thing work and you're like, Did, mm -hmm. was it worth it? And you're like, yes, yes, it was. You have to convince <laughs> yourself it was worth it. Nice. Okay, well, I want to thank you again for joining the show today. Thanks As for having for you me. People, thank you. If you're out there watching the show, uh, I do suggest going over to Apple Podcast and leaving us an honest review because it really helps get the word out about the show. If you want to check us out live, uh, we stream live over on my personal uh, YouTube channel at Bill Meeks LA. And then we post a edited, more fluffy version of the podcast over on the at where I'm from podcast YouTube channel eh, a couple few weeks later. If you want to tell us about where you're from or if you want to respond to anything I asked of the day, shoot me an email, bill at billmeeks.com. And as always, you can check out all these links and more, all the episodes, everything at billmeeks.com slash where I'm from. Well, that does it for this week. Join us next time.